Well, good morning, ladies. It's 9 o'clock, so we'll go ahead and get started. How are you doing this morning on your last morning? You guys refreshed? Do you feel like you've had a good weekend? How many, uh, this is your first time at Mount Hermon? Wow, okay. Wow. Who's come the farthest? Anyone come from out of state? Is everyone from California? Okay, how about, where are you from? Wow, okay, so I'm assuming you didn't come just for the conference. <laughs> oh, wow, okay. Welcome. <laughs> sure it's a different climate here. <laughs> All right, good morning, ladies. Come on in. I think I'll start us off with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into what we have this morning. So let's pray. Lord, I, I love being here. I thank you so much for this place and the beauty of the trees and, and just even the crisp fall weather. I thank you for how you are so present in creation. And I love being able to see your handiwork. Lord, the two times in the Bible that you use the word masterpiece is when you're describing creation in Romans 1, and then in Ephesians 2, when you talk about us, your masterpiece, Lord. So we want to praise you and thank you that this weekend we get to experience the beauty of both, being with our sisters in Christ from all over. We thank you for the opportunity to see how you are working and moving in each one of our lives and have brought us together as your body this morning and this weekend. <clears throat> Thank you so much for what you're doing here. We ask that you be in this place as we open our hearts and our minds to what you want to teach each one of us. Thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, this is who I am. I'm Jody Harris. I don't have any handouts this morning. Every time I went to make the handout, it was too crazy. So if you go on my website, I do have um, the whole presentation on there. So you can go and find the whole presentation on there. If you miss a slide, um, it's all on there. Just go to the website that's at the bottom. And I'll be sure to try and help you guys through this, and hopefully everything's on the slides. So just a little bit about me. I'm a boy mom, which I love. I love any boy moms. I love being a boy mom. Oh my goodness, when I had my first boy, I was like, okay, let's just keep having boys. Then I found out my name. I have three boys. My name, Jody, means to increase, as in to add sons. Isn't that hilarious? Like, if I had started younger, I'd just keep having a baseball team. <laughs> but um, I love them. They're 21 now and 18, and then I have an 11-year-old. And I did that on purpose, because if you have boys, they're crazy. So two, your, your job as a mom is to not let them die. And so you've got two, that's enough. You have to wait until they're old enough <laughs> to be able to take on the third. So that's what happened. So I was 39 ish and said well it's either now or never <laughs> so I got pregnant with a third and thought what have I done <laughs> but now it's beautiful I love having that little guy at home as the other two have moved on I miss them but it's nice to have that third at home I also am currently working with an organization called Compassion Network in Fremont, which I love. Just wanted to say a little bit about that. It's an organization of about 70 churches and pastors that come together every week and pray. And then our organization reaches out into the community to assess needs. And then with the churches, we partner and we are able to match um, willing volunteers with the needs in the community to help them get what they need, whether it's a service 
or some sort of item. If they're moving into a new apartment, they're a refugee and they have nothing, we can help um, find people in the churches to help meet those needs. And one of the cool things that I'm doing now is I'm getting to actually work with some of the homeless women and start to pastor them. And my heart is just full of being able to hear their stories and be able to minister to them. My heart's also broken um, for what they suffer and the trauma that they go through. But to be able to be in that space, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what God's going to do. I'm a writer, so if you go to my website, you can kind of read some things, and I hope to write about this new venture at Compassion Network soon. Um, I'm also a firm believer in mentoring. I love to mentor younger women in the next generation and also teach the older women how to do it. Sometimes the older women think, I don't know what I have to offer. I, I think there's too much of a gap. We have such a disconnect, right, with lifestyles and and things that we've grown up with as we get older is so different from what our kids are experiencing. But the reality is the youngers are so hungry to be able to be in relationship with older women and hear their wisdom. And so I've just kind of found that it's an organic thing where you walk with them and you, you learn from them as much as they teach you. And so I love doing that as well. So yesterday you got to hear just a snippet of my story. I kind of dove in deep there at the beginning. So I thought this morning I'm going to step back <laughs> and, and ask you some more lighter things as far as struggles and worst character traits in our lives. And I thought I'm going to share a few things that maybe happened to me in the last week or two and see if any of you can relate to these things. So I thought, you know, if you're comfortable, you can raise your hand if, you, <laughs> if this happened to you. So the first thing is I said, raise your hand if uh, you've ever gossiped about your friend um, right after you resolved not to. That happened to me this week. Ah, I'm still working on that, guys. Um, what about, have you ever eaten a bag of chips or a whole pint of ice cream on the same day that you started the new diet? Yes, what is that? Okay, so we're, we're in good company. Okay, or fill in the blank, whatever your snack is, right? <laughs> okay, any of you ever yelled at your kids or your spouse or your parents, after your quiet time? <laughs> All right, good. Um, that's a hard one. Ever gone 50 miles an hour in a 30 while singing praise music? Totally done that. Ah. And then if someone cuts me off, right, the anger, but then if they get pulled over, you're just like cheering. <laughs> It's like, oh my goodness. Okay, we kind of connect on some of these. Anybody ever um, been in line? I have line issues. And accidentally, accidentally shoved your shopping cart into the person behind you because they were just too close. Am I the only one? <laughs> I have space issues, guys. So if they get too close, I'm just kind of like, oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, that's my own issue. <laughs> Um, have you ever had any financial issues that you worried so much over knowing the Bible's like, don't worry, I've got you. That's a struggle. It's a constant struggle for me, right? And so sometimes I wonder in my life, why do we not have more victory over some of these areas? The Holy Spirit resides in us. We have the resurrection power, and yet these are still struggles for us, right? We're still human, but that's okay. We're going to talk about that today and how the Holy Spirit lives in us and how we have his power. And yet all of us still struggle this side of heaven, right? We all have flaws. Some of them are minor, like some of the ones I mentioned today. Some of them might be major, like what I mentioned yesterday when we were talking um, in the main session and I gave the introduction, which I'll share more about. Um, some of them are not our fault. Maybe something happened to us and that affects our lives, but sometimes it's totally our fault. 
um, some flaws or some struggles um, or, or problems we have we're born with, right? Um, whether it's physical or mental or what have you. Some are acquired. Um, some everybody knows about. Everybody in your world knows about them. And some of them, no one knows. No one knows your deepest struggles. Maybe some of you have come in this morning in a really dark wilderness place and you've been there for years and you can't seem to find your way out of that wilderness place. And you wonder, is God for me? Does he care about what I'm dealing with? Why is it going on? I feel like he's left me in the wilderness to die. Maybe some of you are in a difficult marriage where you just wonder, how come it's not getting any easier? If we both believe in Jesus, why is this such a struggle? Why are we not having more victory? Some of us might be struggling with the death of a loved one where we just can't get past the grief and we don't know how to move forward in our lives. We're stuck. Some of us might have anxiety and depression. And if one more person tells us to have the joy of the Lord, (laughs) we might hit them. (laughs) What is that? Some of us deal with health issues. Maybe you've received a new diagnosis and it's changed your life and you have a new normal and you can't quite figure it out, how to navigate that new normal from how you used to be. I know for me, now that I've turned 50, there's a new normal. I used to have to go skiing to get injured. Now I just roll over in bed, right? (laughs) What is that? I I have a massage muscle therapy person for when I roll over in bed, <laughs> working on those shoulders. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah, and glasses. I, I have to go get the ones, bifocals, tri, whatever the ones are with all the different visions in them because now I can't do the reading glasses anymore. But today I will do it, which means when I'm looking at you, I can't see you because <laughs> they're for the page. <laughs> so that's good. <laughs> So there's self-esteem and body issues wrapped up in that because at 50, now culture is telling me, you're not relevant anymore. You have nothing left to offer. That's the culture we live in. But as women, as Christians, as daughters of the king, I don't know about those of you who are 50 and over. Our lives are just getting started, right? This is when things are getting good. The kids are moving out. (laughs) That's a beautiful part. I love that part. But we're getting started with what God might want to do in our future. The best is not behind us. But culture wants us to believe that. The enemy wants to hold us back and say, you're done. Life's over. And so I fight with believing the lies of the enemy. And maybe some of you do too. Because the enemy wants to use shame and fear to keep us down and to keep us quiet and keep us from sharing with each other about what's really going on in our lives so that we can't get free from it, so we can't heal. James 5.16 talks about confess your sins to one another so you can be healed. And I used to think that meant, oh, it just means a physical healing, but what? I wasn't quite jiving with that. But the more I got into James, I realized There's a spiritual healing that happens when we are able to confess and say, hey, I am struggling with this thing. And by being able to bring it out in the open with someone, and it doesn't have to be from a stage, right? It can be with a friend in the privacy of a conversation. There's a healing that begins to happen with us spiritually. And so we're going to talk about that. First thing I want you to do is either on a paper or just think about Something that you're currently struggling with. It can be something minor that's just annoying to you. Something for me is that I can't get to work on time, guys. (laughs) And I want to work on that, right? So maybe that's kind of the struggle you're dealing with, wondering why that's an issue. But maybe it's a big deal. Maybe you are struggling with anxiety and depression and can't get a handle on it. 
that's something. Or maybe you're dealing with a relationship struggle or a character issue or an addiction. Think about that. Maybe make a note of, this is what I'm currently struggling with, God. This is something I want to bring to you this morning. So take just a few seconds and maybe think about that or write that down. Something that you really want to bring to God. So how in the world can these worst character traits, these flaws, these struggles, how can they possibly be the best thing about us? Um, anybody recognize that guy grew <laughs> from Despicable Me? As a boy mom, I've seen it like 486 times. So <laughs> I love this movie, thank goodness. And um, I love it because even the title tells you that this guy has issues. Despicable Me. Um, he has flaws. His name grew. <laughs> um, he's grumpy and mean, and he pops little kids' balloons, right? And he laughs, and he's super selfish. He doesn't care about anyone's feelings, and he's a real jerk. Except not really, because he kind of reminds someone of someone who pushes shopping carts into people. <laughs> And so I kind of really love him because I love anyone where I can go, okay, good, I'm not the only one who does kind of some crazy weird things or has issues. He's human, right? And something about the humanity connects us. So that's why we get connected. And so anyone, actually, anyone that is kind of worse than me, I really love, right? Because <laughs> they make you feel better about yourself. And I kind of feel that way about all the characters in the Bible. Um, if you look at Sarah, here she's this woman of God, but she didn't trust him about the promise he made. And so he had her, maid, had her maid servant sleep with her husband, right? To fulfill the promise and have the child. And I think... At least I haven't done that, <laughs> right? <laughs> so you're like, okay, God used her. So, all right, she's flawed. There's a connection. And the same is true in our favorite movies and stories. And so in my past life, I was an English teacher, and I taught about story and the structure of story and the main character and their flaws and their conflicts and their passions and all the different pieces. And I discovered that in story, our lives are like that. And one of my favorite authors, Donald Miller, talks about story and how our lives are like a story and that God has written the greatest story ever told, the Bible, right? And so I realized that as a human, we also have dreams and gifts and desires and passions that God has put in us and he wants to use in our lives. But then the enemy comes along and he puts these conflicts and these roadblocks in our way, right? And these flaws. And it becomes hard to fulfill the dreams that God has for us. With Gru, the main character of this movie, it's his meanness. He's being a jerk. And that's the flaw that's going to get in the way of him loving these little girls. Um, an old movie from way back, Indiana Jones. Do anybody remember what he was afraid of? 
Snakes, okay? So the snakes were going to keep him from getting what he needed to get, right? And so then in the movie, you're like, oh, what's going to happen? And the snake's going to stop him. And you will notice in the first seven minutes of a movie, you will know the main character, what they really want, and what's going to get in the way. So the rest of the movie, you're going, ah, are they going to get what they want? Are they going to get the girl? Are they going to win the prize? Are they going to achieve? Are they going to win the race? You will know all of that in the first seven minutes. I wish that was our life, the first seven minutes we know. Anyways, so what I want you to do right now is think about either a character from the Bible that you really love or from a, a good movie or a novel that you really love, and I want you to turn and talk with each other and share the character that you really love, why you love them, and what their flaw is. Okay, go. Take a few more seconds to finish up your conversation. Okay, if some of you brave souls would be willing to share your character, that would be great. So, come on back to me. <laughs> And would anybody be willing to share the character that you love and why you love them and then maybe what their flaw is? Any brave soul? Just point to the person next to you and I'll call on them. <laughs> oh, perfect. Somewhere over here. All right, ladies, give us a character. Anne of Green Gables. Okay, and why do you love her? <laughs> perfect. So just... Okay, so the carrot top and then also that she shoots her mouth off. Okay, great. Another character, another favorite story, movie, Bible character. Oh, you guys, come on. <laughs> you're just talking about what you're going to do for lunch? What? Come on. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I've been doing a lot of studies on John, and his, I think he's my, my Bible soul character, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, John. Okay, great. Loud, dramatic, but also loves fiercely. Great. Let's think about some Bible characters. Noah, amazing man of faith. What tripped him up, guys? Ladies? Alcohol, right? Okay, what about Paul? Um, terrorist. <laughs> Small details, right? Okay. All right, we talked about Sarah and Abraham, kind of what her flaw was. What about David? Adulterer, murderer? And man after God's own heart. 
right? So we're in good company. We're in good company. Not that we've been adulterers and murderers. <laughs> Maybe. Um, okay, so Martha, what about Martha? What's she unfortunately known for? Yeah, too busy and kind of worrying about her sister over there and what she's doing, kind of the comparison game too, right? So all of these are human. They're people, and God used them, right? And it's our struggles that seem to connect us. It's our struggles that go, okay, me too. I'm not alone, right? We can relate to that. But in the church, I feel like we're so good at faking fine sometimes that we don't know that the person sitting next to us has the very same struggle that we have, and we think we're, we're just so ashamed of it that we don't know how to break free from it when if only we would be able to speak out and share, we could find healing together. And I feel like that's part of the enemy's strategy of keeping us quiet and not getting the heal, healing that we need. Something connects us through that. So what about us? What about us? Let's get into that. How can my struggle be the best character trait instead of my worst? How is that even possible? So today we're going to camp out in 2 Chronicles 20. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, go ahead and turn to 2 Chronicles 20. I will also have the scriptures on the screen for you, so no worries there. And we're going to talk about King Jehoshaphat and his life because he is kind of my soul brother right now, um, as far as it goes, because I connect with him because of his story and what he went through um, in some various different pieces of his story. Here's a man. He was a man after God's own heart, too. He was devoted to God. He, he obeyed his commands. He followed them. He had great wealth. He had favor and honor among all the people. They loved him. He was a wonderful king, but he wasn't perfect. He also had flaws. He allied himself with Israel's King Ahab by marriage and military, even though the prophet was like, don't do that, right? He gave in to peer pressure of his peers, and so that was a problem. And so he had some lack of faith and some trust issues. So when he went to battle, and instead of doing it the way he knew God told him to do it, he decided, okay, I'm going to go with these guys and do it. And as a result, he almost lost his life. And so when he cried out to God, God saved him. And from that moment, he made a resolution. I am going to do it God's way next time. Sometimes we have to experience the consequence of our actions, of our sin, or whatever it is, to go, okay, next time, I'm doing it God's way. And thank God for his grace, right? That happens to us, too. Our flaws teach us, and that's good, right? He realized in that moment the battle was not his to fight. He realized it was God's to fight. And he learned that we quickly cannot fight our battles. We can't deal with our struggles alone. And so there's going to be three reasons why our worst traits are our best. And the first is because it reveals our need for God. It reveals our need for God. We can't do this alone. We need God to help. And he is the one who's going to fight our battles. So let's talk about that a little bit in 2 Chronicles 20, verses 1 through 3. I want us to read that scripture. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Meunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. And some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar. Alarmed. Okay? King Jehoshaphat is alarmed. He's afraid. He has seen God work in his life in the past but he's afraid. He's still human, and he has that fear. And I feel like that happens to me too. I still get afraid when the battle is coming and it's in my life. So he has this flaw, but the question is, what's he going to do with it? Is he going to turn to God this time, 
Or is he going to work in his own power out of fear? And so what he does next is crucial and immediate. And it's important for us to understand he doesn't dwell on that flaw. He doesn't call his friend and talk about it. What should I do about this? He goes to God. He doesn't focus on the problem, which I am so good at. I love to analyze the problem. I love to do that, unfortunately. But he's going to go to God. And so let's read the next section there. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. He proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said... So this is what I want us to notice about what he's doing. The first thing is that we realize that he resolves to inquire of the Lord, right? He decides, I am going to go to God first, not my friends, not my fear, which is what I tend to do. He's going to go to God first. And then he proclaims a fast for the people to say, I'm serious about this. We are going to go to God together, and we are going to fast. I'm not always good at fasting, I feel like I want to pass out after like an hour. But the reality is, doesn't it help you focus on God, right? And realize, okay, he is more important than food or whatever I'm fasting from. It gives us a sense of importance that we truly are facing God and we're looking at God. And then he gathers the people together. When I have an issue... I want to go crawl in my bed and hide from the world, and I feel so much shame. But he says, you know what? I'm going to gather some people. He gathers his whole nation. But could we gather a friend or two or a prayer group and say, hey, this is happening right now. Maybe you're good at texting, and you have a text group where that you're in where you're able to say, hey, girls, I'm right here in the middle of something. Can you pray with me? That is so powerful to have our sisters with us to pray, to gather together. And he does that as a leader. He does that. And that's not a weakness where that might seem like a weakness as a leader. And then he prays with them. And there's some elements of his prayer. It's it's not just a help me, help me, which those are great. I do them all the time. Lord, help me, help me. Just help me figure out what to do. But I want us to read his prayer together and look at the different elements of what could we be praying when we're in the middle of a struggle to help us in that struggle. And so verses 6 through 12, um, I don't think I have those on my screen, so I'm going to read them to you. Um, Let's go ahead and start at verse 6, where he prays to God and says, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who's in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. He goes on to kind of talk about some other things that God has done. And so I wonder, and then I want to jump down to verse 12 where he says, Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We, do know not, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's the leader praying with his people. We don't know. We don't know what to do, right? But as a leader... Here's what he's doing, and here's what we can do in our prayer life. He's acknowledging who God is, 
right? He's saying, God, you have done these things. This is who you are. You are God in heaven. No one can withstand you. You have the power over anyone and everything, even this battle I'm currently in. You, this battle cannot be, um, I won't be defeated. You won't be defeated in this battle in my life. He also prays about what God has done in the past. Sometimes when we're in the middle of a tri our trials, we can't see what God has already done for us. And so maybe we need a sister to say, remember God took care of that for you last time? Remember when God did this? How many of you are journalers and can look back through a prayer journal and see God's answer to prayer? That might be a moment to pull out your journal and go, God has done this before. I'm currently in a struggle financially, go figure. We talked about that, how it's hard. Where we have a rental that's sitting empty that actually pays for college. You know, I've got two kids in college and I'm thinking, um, we need to rent that out by Tuesday. <laughs> it's not rented yet. But God has given me so many opportunities over my life where I have been broke and he has showed up that finally I think I'm learning however he's going to provide is going to be way much better than anything I could try and muster up in the next two days. So I'm going to use this as an opportunity to see what he's going to do. And so I just have to remember, he's been there before. He's done this before. He'll do it again. I don't know what it's going to look like, but he'll do it again. And then he also prays some promises, things that God has promised to do. And this is important. He confesses their need for God. Confession, such a huge thing to be able to do. Confess to God, this is my struggle. I can't do this. And also to be, to be able to confess to each other because in order to heal, right, we have to get real. We have to get real with each other. We have to be authentic in order to start that healing journey. So right now I want you to take a minute and write on your paper underneath maybe one or two of your struggles. Write, someone that you, write down someone that you feel like you can confess your struggle to and pray with. Do you have someone in your life that you could go to and talk about your struggle? Maybe you're terrified. Um, but think about somebody that maybe you could go to. It could be a friend. Maybe it's someone you don't know. Maybe there's someone up here at Mount Hermon you've met a new friend that could hold your story um, sacredly and walk through that journey as you leave this place. And you could hold each other accountable. Think for a minute about someone um, or spend some time this week praying about someone that you can go to to be able to release that struggle and write that down. So our second reason for why our worst character traits are our best, um, they reveal God's glory. And what in the world? <laughs> How do they reveal God's glory? I mean, it seems so weird to think that his glory is revealed and that I shoot my mouth off too much. What does that even look like, right? But let's look at verses 14 and 15. Um, here they are. They're in fear. The, the army is coming and they're waiting on God. They've prayed. They've acknowledged who he is. Something powerful happens when we thank God and acknowledge him in our prayers. Something happens when, we, when thanksgiving precedes whatever God's going to do. It changes us somehow when we're able to thank him for what he's about to do. 
Um, so let's take a look at this in verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, the prophet, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite, descendant of Asaph. And he stood in the assembly and he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. The battle is not yours, but God's, right? It's not yours. And then he gives them instructions about what to do while they're standing in this battle. They have to realize that they're not there to fight it. They're there to stand in the battle, to take up their positions and stand there. And doesn't that seem terrifying? You're, you're, they're battle, you're in a battle and they're coming at you and you just get to stand there and watch? What in the world? What does that even look like? And so there's three things that they do in this battle that I find fascinating because we, us too, when we're in the battle, they're told to stand firm and see. They get to stand there and watch what God's about to do. They have a front row seat to what God's about to do as far as delivering them. Verse 17 says, take up your position, stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord will give you. Right? So we get to stand there and watch. But as women, it's so hard to stand and not do anything in a moment. We want to help. We want to jump in and be part of the solution. And what if sometimes God is saying, I just need you to hang out and not be afraid. Don't be discouraged. In the Bible, over 200 times it says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why in the world would the Bible say 200 times, don't be afraid? Because we're afraid. And so he wants to remind us, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. We're going to have to go out and face them, right? But the Lord will be with you. So what does it look like to show up and just shut up? It's so hard. Ephesians 6 talks about how we're supposed to put on the armor and stand there. Well, what is the armor? The armor is the truth. It's the salvation. It's righteousness. It's peace. How can we live in that space with God as he's fighting that battle and just stand in those truths that he has already won that battle? That is so hard for us. But let's see also what he did after he was standing there. Verse 18, what do they do? Verse 18 says, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground. The army is coming at him. The battle is about to begin, right? And he is face down on the ground with his people. And they fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korathites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. They're singing and praising in the middle of their battle. Their weapon is their worship, right? That is what is going to win the battle. When we come together as a body of Christ and we worship the Lord, that is what opens up his power to fight for us. That is what is going to be the victory. When we come together, mighty things happen. Back in that day, the worshipers would go before the soldiers. So imagine that when you go to your churches, that your worship teams, your praise teams are in the front lines of the battle, right? And when we worship, we're inviting God to come into our lives and win that battle for us because we are trusting him. And so they praised with, praised with a loud voice. How many know that new praise song, Raise a Hallelujah? Ah, okay, that is exactly this. And I wrote down a couple of the lyrics. Raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. Raise a hallelujah louder than my unbelief. Raise a hallelujah, my weapon 
is a melody. Raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. That's so counterintuitive. We want to get in there and fight or flight. And he's saying, no, your weapon is worship. And that's what these people do. And that is what the leader is showing them, that we are going to worship the God who is going to come in and win this battle for us. They sing and they praise, even before the outcome, right? Even before the miracle happens, they're singing and praising because they know God has this. And we see this modeled in Jesus' life. He has the fish and the loaves, And he's about to feed 5,000 people, and everyone's looking at him like he's crazy. How in the world can this feed that many people? And what does he do? He prays and he thanks God for what he has in front of us, in front of them, in front of him, and he thanks God. His thanksgiving preceded the miracle, preceded the miracle, right? Before the miracle, he thanked God for what he was going to do. How can I possibly thank God for that trial and go, thank you, God, for the opportunity you have to be glorified in my life through this? I don't see it. But thank you, God, for how you're going to do this. I don't see it. Same thing happened at the Lord's Supper. He thanked God, and he knew he was about to die. He knew the suffering was coming, and he thanked God, and we see the resurrection miracle after. How can we thank God before and not just after he works in our lives? Because there's power in that, of being present with him and recognizing that he is the one that can do it. And then we get to just testify about whatever he did in our lives. And so I want to just share a couple of stories from the Bible real quickly of guys that got to testify about what he did in their lives. Um, This is the blind man, right, in John 9. And here's what's amazing because, let's just read it. John John says, as he went along, this is Jesus, he saw a blind man from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. What if our trials and our suffering is not about us? What if it's something God wants to use to glorify and reveal himself to the world? Because if this man had not been born blind, Jesus would not have had the opportunity to heal him and show his power in this man's life. That kind of just blows my mind to think about because I get so wrapped up in me and my story and what this is about me. And what if God wants to use us for something bigger than ourselves? In John 11 with Lazarus, this quote here when Jesus is talking to his sisters is before Lazarus dies. It's before he dies. And he says, when he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. So they thought, okay, he's not going to die. What were they thinking after he died? And they're thinking, Rabbi told us he wouldn't die. Right? That must have been so confusing. But had Lazarus not died... There would have been no opportunity for Jesus to show that he has the resurrection power over the dead, right? Wow. Lazarus had to die in order for God's resurrection power to be seen. What about us? We have to die to ourselves, right? In order for God's resurrection power to be seen. What can that look like for us? If he could do it for Lazarus, What can he do for us? When I was hospitalized 
So many years ago, I remember thinking this is the end of my ministry. I had two little boys. We were church planters. We had just planted a church. My husband was a pastor, of course, so I was a pastor's wife. And, and my first thought really was, what's the church going to think? Is my husband going to lose his job? Because the church is really good at, at, you know, we're good at faking fine. We're kind of afraid to share our struggles. We think we're supposed to have it figured out. And I remember being in that hospital just mad about it and feeling like, God, I don't get it. Why? I thought, what? This doesn't make any sense. Our struggles often don't make sense. We feel like, no, God, you're supposed to be with me. You're supposed to heal me. Why didn't you heal me? Why am I here? And so here's the thing that I learned. When you're in a mental hospital, um, you probably know this, you can't get in unless you're sick, (laughs) right? So you're looking around at the group and you're going, yeah, we all kind of know that we're sort of crazy, <laughs> messed up, and um, no one's here like, oh yeah, I just came to hang out for the day, right? We all have issues, so that was not a problem going in. This person is schizophrenic, and talk about all the voices in their head and trying to get them to sing in unison. And this person over here would talk about blue elephants that she saw on the wall and how they were beautiful and we all needed to love them. And I just remember thinking, okay, (laughs) this is really crazy. But I thought, what has God gotten for me here? I don't get this. And so I spent two weeks in an outpatient program and on the last day or two, we were all sharing. And I just remember watching as everyone would share their story and no one was judging. They would come along and put an arm around someone who might be crying or say, I I totally get it, me too. They were empathizing with each other in their shame and in their grief and in their struggles that they just couldn't find victory in. And there was something beautiful happening. There was healing happening in that room with this strange group of people, right? And I remember bursting out, because they all knew me as the pastor's wife resident of the time, (laughs) said, you guys, this is what the church is supposed to look like. (laughs) Okay, say more. (laughs) It was like, this is what we need to be able to do with each other, is we need to be able to say, this is my deepest, darkest struggle. Can you hold it with me, alongside me, and care for me during this struggle, and allow me the freedom to share this with you and you with me so that the body of Christ can begin to heal? And I knew at that time that God had a ministry for me that I was going to resolve to walk out of that hospital and share my story, to go first so that other people could get freed up from whatever they were going through to be able to say, if that's happening to her, thank goodness, because this is happening to me. And I thought it was me that was wrong or something was wrong with me. And, and so I went back, and it was a month or so after, and I stood before the church, actually, and I was teaching. And I shared the story of being in the mental hospital, and I didn't know you know, what, how it was going to affect people. And there was a gentleman in there, a friend of mine, and it wasn't until probably two or three years later that he came to me and he said, remember that night that you shared your story? It really, it really changed me. And I thought, okay. (laughs) Usually, you know how some people will come up to you when you share and go, thank you so much. That was really great. And you just, you're not sure what that means. You have no idea what that means for them. And so he said, well, what happened is that I was sitting there realizing he was a pastor's kid. And he said, my mom, she struggled like you do. And how she thought she had to be perfect. And our family had to look perfect as a pastor's family. And so we could never talk about our struggles at home or anywhere. We had to act perfect. And I had done so many things against the family. And I thought, if she ever knew, she's going to kick me out of the house. But I went home that night after you told your story. And I thought, I'm going to tell my mom. I'm going to let her know. And I was so afraid But I went home and I confessed to my mom what happened and she hugged me and she loved me. And we cried together and our relationship was restored. 
He's like, I just wanted you to know that you sharing your story freed me to share mine and find healing. And he's a singer-songwriter, and he says, now I go out and I travel and I share that story to hope that other people can get free. And I thought, I, I wanted God to heal me. That's what I wanted from my pain. And God wanted to heal so many more people through my story if I were willing to go first. And he wanted to teach me that, that your story can heal someone else's and be used for his glory. What if our victory over our battles doesn't look like we think it's going to look? What if physical healing isn't what God has for me or you or whatever? I know for me, I still struggle with anxiety and depression. I still deal with it, but I'm learning to bring it to God, and I've found spiritual healing and spiritual growth through it. What if instead the victory is spiritual healing, continued transformation into Christ-likeness, right? What if that is what the thing is, the suffering is to make us more like Christ. And Paul can identify in 2 Corinthians, right? Where he says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Here is a Pharisee of all Pharisees who was perfect to the letter of the law. He did everything perfect. And here, God has transformed him into someone who boasts about his weaknesses because that is what shows Christ's power. Our weaknesses reveal God um, in so many ways. They reveal our need for God. They reveal God's glory. And lastly, they transform us into Christ's likeness. Like Christ's likeness. But it's super painful, right? This isn't easy at all. I really hate it. I do. But here's what scripture promises. It doesn't promise us health and wealth and, and happiness on this side of heaven. Here's what it promises. Romans 5 says we can rejoice, rejoice too, when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they can help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our competent hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. Right? So this is what we're promised. And James, you're familiar with this, I'm sure. Consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It's doing something in us, ladies. It's doing something. We're being changed. Our pain has a purpose. He wants to change and transform us through it. Now, like a movie, I want this wrapped up in two hours, right? We want it done. But trials can go on for years. King Joseph, Joseph, remember Joseph? He was in jail for years. God had given him a vision, and years later it was fulfilled. And maybe some of you feel like that. You're going through something so painful for years, and you know God has called you to something, and you're still waiting, for years, but God is doing something. Will we run to him or will we run away in anger and bitterness? Isaiah talks about how 
His thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Even Jesus said, let this cup pass, right? I don't want to suffer, but I will do it if it's going to bring you glory. How many of you seen the old version of Karate Kid? <laughs> Love that movie. You get to experience it now. There is a scene that speaks volumes to me because it's young Daniel. He's trying to learn karate because he's getting bullied at school and in life, and he wants to be able to defend himself. Actually, he wants to fight. He doesn't want to defend himself. He wants to go in there and kick some butt, right? That's his goal. He's like, I want to just go in there and defeat them, which is what I want to do. I want to go in there and nail them. <laughs> and Mr. Miyagi's like, ooh, this isn't about fighting. This isn't about fighting. And so he's like, well, just train me. Train me in karate so I can do my thing. And so Mr. Miyagi's like, okay, you want training? Every day you come to my house. And if you remember the movie, he said, okay, you're going to paint my fence. He's like, I'm going to what? Okay, you're going to wash my cars. You're going to sand my deck. And Daniel's thinking, what in the world? What? I'm not learning to fight. And he's angry and he's frustrated because he can't see what's happening. He's suffering. Mr. Miyagi's fishing. <laughs> and I'm doing this work and it hurts. So let's take a look at what happens. Is there no volume? Oh no, is Michael back there? <sighs> okay, hold on. <laughs> Gotta hear what he's saying. So good. It's going to have a little buzzing. Oh, the sound's not spot. good. What spot? Hey, hey, how come you didn't tell me you were going fishing? You're not here when I go. Well, maybe I won't worry go yet. Think of that. You're karate training. I'm what? I'm being... Had to edit some words. <laughs> Sandafloa. 
I feel like that's me and God. <laughs> and he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Always look in the eye, right? Fix, on Jesus, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Second Corinthians. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. Which takes us back to King Jehoshaphat's prayer. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. How do we keep our eyes on Jesus and trust that everything that we're learning that doesn't make any sense will make sense one day? We just don't know when or how. We don't see it yet. But God knows, and we have to trust him, right? Right? So I wanted to show you one final video for us to close our time of some stories of some people who lived through their struggles and how they worked through them to finish this time. So let's take a look at this one last video as we wrap up. Elliot's my fourth child. Basically, when they pulled Elliot out, they knew right away that something wasn't right with him. I was working with troubled teens in a halfway house. I'd always wanted to be a pastor, but I'd always wanted to be a cop. That following spring, I was officer of the year in 2002. There was a tumor in my brain. What 21-year-old wants to hear they have cancer? 15 or 16, I started struggling with an eating disorder. 
it was my 12th birthday, I was turning 12. None of us heard the gunshot, we just heard my mom screaming. I was sold into sex trafficking by my mother. I was 12. They cover me with plastic, pronounce me dead. People meet me and they would never know all the things that I've been through. I would overexercise, get meals, trying to keep the shell pretty. I still ran track, and every race I lost was because I wasn't skinny enough. I had that approval addiction. It took control of me. There are days of taking more than I can give. And there are choices that I made that I wouldn't make again. My parents had planned an intervention for me, and my family now, they're telling me that I'm, I'm hurting them. That started a turning point. I my share of laughter. This particular pastor called and he says, we've gotten these two young men who broke into a bunch of cars. We just need you to come and pick them up. You were there when it all came down on me. The two young men conspired to kill me, throw me out in the woods somewhere and take off with my car and run. So I jumped on the hood, put my gun right up against the glass and said, don't do it. It took off with me on the hood of the car. When I jumped off of the hood, I hit the back of my head, which immediately busted both my inner ears. In those unclear moments, you were the one keeping me strong. This is how my story's always gone. I won. I had severe vertigo. I won. Panic attacks, PTSD. I got it right sometimes, but sometimes I Everything that I had ever taken pride in, my strength, my abilities, all of that was gone. I've been a journey, I've seen joy, I've seen regret. Oh, and you have been my God through all of it. It was a really, really rough labor. He had a 9 by 6 centimeter cyst in the center of his brain. His head was extra large. We don't know if he'll talk, we don't know if he'll walk. My heart sunk. I had no idea that he would end up having eight surgeries that year. He hit me head on, but at 80 miles per hour. When the police got there, I was pronounced dead without a pulse for almost an hour. When they pulled the car from me, I took a gasp. I started breathing again. When I left the hospital, I was told that I'd never be able to have children, and they're not sure if I'd be able to walk again. I changed my attitude. I said, I'm going to give. 
give this to God and I'm going to allow people into my life to help me. I can't do this alone. I believe that God is a great physician. Even when they said I'd never have children again, I just didn't believe it. I'm walking, I'm running, and I have a child. situation there can be joy there can be life what I thought was a death sentence turned into be my story and my life I battled cancer four times if I trust in him I can do anything Lord I just want to thank you so much for how you take what seems completely senseless endless suffering and what the enemy meant for evil, Lord, thank you for using it for our good. And may we trust you in, those, in the darkness. May we walk with each other through the darkness, Lord. We are sisters in Christ here to walk together with you through our darkest times so that you can change us, so you can be revealed to a dark world, Lord, so that we can bring hope. Um, and be used for you, Lord. Thank you for these women. Thank you for this weekend and an opportunity to get a fresh perspective of how you want to continue working in our lives as we leave this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So ladies, I want to leave you with this quote. Tell the story of the mountain you climbed. Your words become a page in someone else's survival guide. Bless you. Have a great day.